Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Life Lab Podcast. Quarantine broadcast, episode six, I think, at this point. Man, we've been in quarantine for a long time. On today's episode, Everett and I dive into flow, getting into the zone, whatever you want to call it. We talk about what it is, how to cultivate it, and why it really matters. Some other updates on, on our end. We have finally updated the lifelabpodcast.com where we're going to be having a, kind of a mind share of content on everything that we like, love, and we're going to be putting that on there. So go check that out there and also check out the, the show notes because we put a lot of content in there that you can go and reference back to. So anyways, hope you guys enjoy and stay safe. Yeah, so I'm going down to Palm Springs in next Tuesday. I leave. Probably going to stay down there for a couple weeks. Uh, golf apparently is closed for another week, at least, from what I've read. So we'll probably just be hanging out and chilling at the pool. Obviously, I have to be working still. And then doing some tennis. And then ideally, I'll get to play some golf before I drive back up with my mom. But ideally, like, I want to, like, take some time and play some sick golf courses with my mom on the way up. Like, yeah, it'd be awesome. Abandoned dunes or something like that, because I, I have to think that a lot of the places are going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to play still, so there will be open tea times and stuff, but we'll see. Well, like, maybe even I, some discounts. Yeah. So Bandon Dunes, that'd be pretty sick. Have you played there yet? No. I have a I'm organizing like a golf trip for to go there in like next April. Oh, I know. I was on that original invite. I don't know if I'm still on it. I know you guys are being pretty strict about commit now or we're kicking you out. Yeah, pretty much. Sounded like a lot. It wasn't it like a couple grand just to do it. Yeah, probably fifteen hundred dollars all in. And then like pretty, pretty serious, like tournament play, right? Yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like Ryder Cup style. So there'd be teams, but the idea would be to make it competitive, but like as fun as possible, because like, I mean, we could go and do a golf trip there and like just everyone kind of just fucks around, but I think it'll be more fun because there'll be like more camaraderie. There'll be more interesting just and dynamics you guys are gonna fuck around anyway right it's not like that's gonna yeah, stop gonna, you guys yeah it's not like it was gonna stop us from drinking or fucking around or drinking late into the night and being hung over the next day and but i think it'll just add another element that i don't think like my group's ever done at an actual series level we always talk about oh yeah gamble like whatever we're like we're gonna play a game play a game but like we don't ever Nobody ever pays up at the end. It's, it's, it's never, it's kind of just for shits and giggles. Whereas like I, whenever I've played golf and golf tournaments, the most fun is playing in those tournaments when like there's something on the line and you're actually kind of nervous, like sitting over like a putt that means something or off a drive that means something like that is way more fun to me. Um, I don't know. Probably everyone doesn't feel that way, but uh, I, I kind of want to try it. I've done a bunch of research on it and a lot of people have just said this, those are like the best golf experiences that they've ever done before. So. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's like when you 
but like even if you put like 50 bucks down for something it's really easy to like throw that out the window versus like if you've spent 1500 to come play golf and everything's got some amount on it you're going to think twice about you know wasting that or not making the most of it the whole time yeah that's a that's a really good point that i didn't even really think about and but i think what's also fun is that there'll be teams and then there's like team like the whole idea of it is that there will be teams each there'll be overall teams so like there'll be two captains and then they'll pick i think right now we have 16 people confirmed and then they'll pick they'll pick your eight eight teammates and then it's up to the team captains to like match up players with players and then there'll be different formats so there's only like one day of individual play otherwise you're always on a team either whether it be a foursome or a two-man team or a scramble like whatever it's going to be um we still need to kind of finalize those but i think that way it's it's more of a team game which i think everyone really enjoys a lot yeah how many people are confirmed Six, 16 as of right now wow so and, and that includes lodging that number you said earlier yeah it's like all in so this is your first golf retreat yeah i'd say a uh, golf retreat surprise them with like a yoga teacher and everything <laughs> I, I should that'd be great <laughs> that'd be great yeah uh, that'd be uh it'd actually be really really fun to have a like everyone throw in for uh to have like one of the pros come talk to us for like an hour about like whether it be the mental side of the game or course management at the course or something like that where everyone's getting value out of it at once and like if you don't want to pay for it like you don't have to pay for it that's fine but i think that would be a cool value add and more add to more of like a memorable experience as well i dare you to ask the pros there to do it for free mm. maybe before one of the rounds because even if it's 10 minutes it's like you you know you may not want to do much more than that but i'm sure if those guys are there they'll they're probably bored and you have the leverage of saying hey i mean you've got 16 guys you're bringing what over 25k of revenue yeah to that place the, the least they could do is is have a pro come talk to you yeah and you could tell them hey you know we'll be you know i i'm pretty sure that corey does this the guy who does revamp retreats you know she leverages what she's bringing right she's like hey i'm bringing you guaranteed business for a certain amount of time and also you can count on um a decent amount of social media exposure <clears throat> you know Maybe you float it that way. You say, hey, if, you know, I guarantee you we're going to post about either the facility or the specific pro, you know, X amount of times for a free session, that's easy money. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. I'll, uh, because all those pros do private lessons as well. I mean, I've, it's, it's worked for Corey because I've gone to, the studio here that one of the teachers uh works at and then i've also you know the other gal um uh yoga teacher has a studio in 
um, St. Paul, Minnesota. Obviously, it's not like I have a bunch of friends out there, but I've like referred a handful of people to, to her. So like that type of referral relationship works. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, this time next year, I'd be just getting back from the trip because it's, uh, it's the last, it's scheduled for the last weekend in April. And I think Thursday through Sunday. So hopefully it's, hopefully the world's open by then. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Well, they just opened golf back up in Seattle. Um, they opened up fishing, I think as well. Uh, there's some restrictions. You have to only play in two sums if you're not from the same household and some other things, but um, we're slowly making our way there. Uh, I saw that San Francisco or was all of California extended the stay at home till the end of May. Um, I haven't heard that for LA ours was extended to May 15th. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if ours was, but I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, getting into like what we wanted to discuss today, I, you, you said something uh, last time we spoke about the maker versus manager schedule. And I had never, never heard of that before. And I did some research on it and is pretty, pretty straightforward. Do you want to give a description of, of how the schedule is? You said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I swear to God, last time we spoke, you were like, oh, yeah, it's like the makers versus the manager schedule. Uh, no, I actually feel like you mentioned it over text. What, what, what might have happened is, um, was it that something from Paul Graham? Yeah, 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 yeah. That we were talking about, we might have been talking about his website and had seen it on there. But uh, no, I'm I'm not familiar with that. I mean, I kind of am familiar with it because I, I I do remember looking at it on his website, but um, I hadn't brought it up as as a concept that I'm super familiar with. But maybe to cut to the chase, we just uh, accidentally yeah, mentioned yeah. it because we were looking at it. Well, today we want to talk about flow, and I thought that this was like the perfect segue considering. This is something that we, I guess, I thought you talked about. And, <laughs> and so um, Paul Graham is the guy who started Y Combinator. He's done some other really awesome things. Uh, y Combinator is like a startup incubation um, company. And he wrote a blog post about the maker versus manager schedule. And essentially the, the manager schedule is where you look at your calendar and you have hour, 30-minute blocks, and you're scheduling meetings, um, to-do lists, et cetera, et cetera. And you are able to switch tasks and switch your mind, more importantly, from meeting to meeting, et cetera, et cetera. And, you can, and they might be on completely different topics. And that's called the manager schedule because you're able to fit things into a, a specific day and schedule in that way. The maker schedule is the opposite of that it's long uninterrupted breaks or time periods where you're able to get into flow without any distractions. So 
uh, a maker schedule would be four, six, three hours of just uninterrupted time blocked out to work on something. So if it is an engineer coding something, it's really hard to get into the flow of writing really good code. Uh, and, and, or, and you can do this into like whatever type of activity that you're doing. If you're trying to really build something, it's really hard to build something in those short hour long or 30 minute blocks. It's a lot easier to start doing that in extended time blocks. And so I was working on the Life Lab podcast uh, website and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to set aside like four to five hours and just work on the website. And and I was going to be uninterrupted, like as after I read the post and I was able to get into such a better flow of like kind of understanding what I want to do, understanding like where things had to go. Uh, just, uh, it just, it was just such an easier experience to get into that um, that kind of just continuous building cycle without having to have someone distracting, without having any distractions or anything pulling away from my thought and then having to, okay, like that thing distracted me now. Like, okay, like what was I doing? Like, how can I get back into what I was doing and building so that it can be what I want it to be. And so I thought that was a great segue for uh, what we're doing. And and I've experienced that a a lot of times where, and it's typically for me, it's late at night or really early in the morning, middle of the day. It's, I've always experienced it's hard to get into that more makers schedule and flow. Which would you say you, you, I mean, obviously with the type of work that we do, we fall into a manager's type schedule, right? Because you, you have to work with other people. Would I be correct in assuming you prefer the feeling of the maker's scheduling or? Yeah, 100%. I work so much better in the maker schedule. Whether that be setting aside two hours to do specific work tasks and not get distracted or building something or whatever it is. Like I, I do much better in uninterrupted time blocks. Like when my calendar is, is full and it's like very blocked off and choppy, I'd say it's hard for me to get into any sort of rhythm. And I typically don't get that much work done or I'm not as effective, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you can't get as, as into something as, as you can. And, and maybe build that momentum that leads to like larger results than you even imagine to begin with, which is part of the concept that I've um, been reading about um, in. Um, I didn't read the entire uh, concept from Paul Graham. Does he is, is the maker's schedule actually scheduled? Because I, 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 I know about the one of the things that I know that engineering departments respect about people that are coding is they want to often do it in their own time. And literally, a, you know, an engineer who is building a new product for Facebook might want to do most of his work in the middle of the night because that's when it feels the best. If he feels untethered to, you know, a social life or there's there's no uh distraction um does paul graham talk about that is the maker's 
quote schedule actually scheduled or is it just, I know I've got to get these things done and we're encouraging you as an engineering organization to do them. Um, of course, have it done by this time, but do the work whenever you want. He didn't say explicitly that, but he implied do the work when you can best do the work really. And if you're going to be getting into those types of building activities, he, the example that he gave is he would work on um, coding and building from like the time that he woke up to like 3 p.m. And then he would focus on business activities after, after dinner. And which is much more of a, like a, a, a manager schedule. And so he was like, that was the time that worked best for me because I wake up, my, my consciousness hasn't been distracted from a manager schedule by being all over the place. And so when I wake up, I have a better ability to get into the maker's mindset by having that from the first part of the day. Some people that's at the very end of the day. I tip for me, that's typically at the very end of the day. Like I actually get into my best uh, flow of on, on of being uninterrupted from like 10 PM to like 2 AM or later. Like that's typically when I would do like my best work, whether I was in school writing a paper or making mixes when I used to do that back in the day or building website, whatever, whatever is I'm doing. Like that's typically when I have my most focus and do my best work. It just sucks because that time doesn't really fit into great normal society at working hours. Yeah. Um, did you, did you mention you like getting things like that done first thing in the morning? Or is that part of the Paul Graham piece? That was the Paul Graham piece. Do you feel that? Do you ever feel that rush of maybe creativity or flow first thing in the morning? It's, yes, especially if I wake up early in the morning. So if mm-hmm. I if I wake up at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., I feel it way more than if I wake up at like 7, 8, 9 o'clock. Um. I know we've talked about this before, um, but it's so cool that I, I have no problem bringing it up again. But the um, the concept of, um, you know, it's funny, all these uh, references are coming to mind for, from this conversation, um, and I wasn't even thinking about them before, but um, the concept of flow or um, creative ideas or specifically answering questions or like conquering confusions um, that that can happen when you're sleeping. Um, specifically the, the, the practice that um, Thomas Edison had where when he was trying to work his way through something and he would hit some kind of mental block or know that he was on to something, but couldn't quite figure it out. He was a famous napper and he would fall asleep with a big metal pan on the floor and he'd be holding a steel ball in his hand and he'd put his hand up on the armrest of his chair and he knew, so he'd be thinking, he'd, he'd 
take this nap with the intent of thinking about the problem that he's trying to solve. And often he would fall asleep right as he was thinking of the solution, but then he would drop the ball onto the pan, which would like sound this alarm to wake himself up and then immediately start writing down or working on this thing because he would often like, you know, think of the solution right as he was falling asleep. If that, if that kind of makes sense. But I think the concept is you, you can reach a state, you know, I don't want to, you know, exhaust the word flow, but you can reach this state to where I think the same thing often happens to people in the showers. Everybody says I come up with the best ideas in the showers um, where your mind is somewhat uninterrupted, you know, and I think it maybe speaks to maybe why we're, we feel so creative or in such a good place to get things done either late at night or in the morning, because maybe there's nobody else around. Maybe we're not thinking. It's like, you're not thinking about other things that you have to get done. Cause it's my own time. It's like, all I need to think about is, is this maybe this, this one little thing, but, um, pretty interesting. Like I, I've just been, I've always talked about this, um, you know, multiple scenarios where I might, you know, be working on designing something or writing something or thinking of an idea and seemingly, you know, without really knowing much about flow or some of these creative states, um, I've always had this feeling of like, holy shit, for the last three hours, I just felt so incredible and was so productive. Why does it feel, why did it feel elevated for that period of time? Um, and coincidentally, I would feel it quite, I still do feel it quite often, um, on, on a morning when maybe I'm a little hungover, but also I feel really good. I, I, and I wasn't able to find a lot of information, you know, uh, about this. Um, but I don't know if you or anybody else has ever really felt that, but it, it, there's been so many times where um, I start working on something in the morning or even if it's exercise or something like golf or volleyball, I will feel so, I don't know, in this elevated state. Um, and it almost feels like I feel extra good because I was expecting to feel poorly, but I feel good. So I feel a little bit like on cloud nine. So everything just feels better. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's a hundred percent how, how people are described when they're in flow. Um, some of the, some of the things that they that typically people describe as being flow is all the things that you just said, time moving slow, things are automatic. You're not thinking you're in a relaxed state of mind. You have a feeling of, of purpose and uh, a freedom and all of that just out adds to just, you're able to just get into whatever it is that you're doing and uninterrupted, almost like uninterrupted stream of like, consciousness and just just full immersion in the the task at hand or the activity at hand whatever that might be um and i'd say i i'd, I'd feel all those things that that you just said is it's kind of just you're just cruising along and nothing's distracting you and even if something you know if there's a bump in the road it doesn't really even bother you it's like oh whatever like i'm still just cruising along mm-hmm. 
are you were you are you referencing this book flow that sounds very familiar <clears throat> no or are you just generally summarizing some of the um kind of ideas and concepts you've you've heard of just generally kind of summarizing those and kind of my own experiences with flow. Um, there were a couple of notes that I wrote down, um, which might be from that book. I, I'm not sure. Um, one is that like purpose and difficulty of task. Two of them were like purpose and difficulty of task allow you to get into a state of flow, whereas negative negativity and apathy take away from your ability to get into flow, which I think makes a lot of sense. If you're feeling negative or you're apathetic, how are you going to get into a flow if you're just like, I don't care. But if you're working very diligently and intentfully on something that is difficult, you're going to have such laser focus that if you do that for an extended period of time, you're going to get into that, that state that allows you to do really great work. Uh, or whether whether it's athletically, musically, or building and or work wise. So it's it's interesting the way that you getting better at using the mute button. If I have to sneeze or cough, or the dog comes running out, which I'm gonna have to do soon. But but um, so I read the first chapter of this book, Flow, which is is one of the kind of I think. Um, foremost kind of publications on, on the concept. Um, I think this was published in 1990 and it's still like one of the leading references. It's called flow, the psychology of optimal experience. Um, just trying to uh, by is that by Mahaley something, 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 I can't something even figure name. out how to say his last name. It's like, since I yeah. Um, and, Shout out to Thrift Books, by the way. If I would imagine a lot of people are ordering books. It is a great place to order books. Like I'm getting everything there for like less than half price, and it's like they're shipping just as fast as as Amazon. Anyway, I got this book for four dollars and nineteen cents, and it came in two days. Um, but uh, not that you'd want to give a shout out to a competitor to to Amazon books, well, so I won't won't make you do that. I like I I personally really like eBay for books. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, eBay's great. Almost always you can get free shipping and almost always you can get the books at like 75% off. Yeah, it's great. It's like, anyway, the, the so I didn't exactly understand the depth that this book or was going to go into or, or kind of the approach, but in thinking of the psychology of optimal experience, so like thinking backwards from what I'm feeling in those moments or what I'm kind of trying to research for myself is what is actually happening when I feel incredible when I'm doing something. And it seems kind of random, uh, a, like, is it coincidental? It like, is it actually random? And then B, if it's, if it's not, or even if it is, how do I encourage or, you know, get to that place more often because it's so exhilarating no matter what I'm working on. Sometimes it is just work stuff. Uh, you know, often it's exercise, often it's like conversations about certain things where things just seem to be flowing, you know, super clearly and you're able to articulate in just the exact way that you want to, or 
references to past ideas come up, you know, right away. Um, I think one of the common ways I've felt it over the years is in volleyball. I think there's something so, I think I experienced something so like encompassingly enjoyable from like my, my feet in the sand to the weather, to the group of people that are out there. Um, and that all goes into like the feeling of play where there's absolutely nothing else on my mind. And uh, you might be playing at, at such a level, of, you know, there's the similarities in, in golf, but um, the funny thing about where this book starts is its first chapter is called uh, revisiting happiness. And it's starting to build up to the concept of flow is almost the residue of how we perceive something that we're doing. And a lot of our perception in an activity um, is subconscious, but it is very um, non-random. So we might feel flow in things that we know on paper we just like, right? Like we've all had moments where we're golfing and it's like, I played out of my mind, right? That comes because you're doing something that you absolutely love. You're probably having a great time with your friends. There is very, very true psychological um, satisfaction that comes from knowing you're doing something healthy for yourself. You know, golf isn't just, it isn't just a leisurely thing. I think a lot of us do find satisfaction from knowing that we're, we're competing with ourselves, we're practicing mental toughness, we're out in nature doing, you know, doing something uh, challenging and, and healthy. Um, and so that can kind of help propel you into this moment where I'm not doing anything but thinking about the next golf shot and I'm thinking about it in the most constructive way possibly. There's nothing in the way that I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about what about the water. I'm not thinking about messing up. You end up in that moment uh, for a reason. So I, I'm really eager to get into the rest of this book because it's giving so many examples. Um, and it, the first chapter really rounds out how flow starts with, you know, happiness per se um, but that's really um, getting you to think about perceiving what you're doing in a good way what are you laughing about i'm 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 going i've been thinking about this is that as the conversation has been progressing is i 100 percent agree with you that like happiness in whatever you're doing is the first step to getting into flow, but what's your take on channeling other emotions to get into flow? I think that's a great question. And I think it, it plays in, I don't, I don't know if I misspoke and said happiness is the first step, but I almost think that the larger concept is understanding how emotions actually play into flow. And happiness is obviously just one of those, you know, and it's seemingly something, you know, that in quotes, we're all chasing this, this happiness, whatever, whatever that concept means to everybody. Um, but I think there's tons of emotions that can play into this like heightened state of productivity or creativity, you know, whether it be, you know, fear, 
or the drive to, um, you know, achieve security for your family, you know, and, and, and long-term, you know, stability, you know, in your life. Um, yeah, I think there's tons of other emotions that, that can play into it. What do you think? I've experienced being extremely, I'd say I get into flow way more when I'm extremely happy, whether, and I'd say I personally experience flow most frequently when I play basketball or when I play golf, because I'm usually going to the activity and I'm, and when I am, am able to get into flow, I'm like super happy to be there. I'm super grateful to be playing basketball, playing in a basketball game or playing golf. And I'm just happy and I can't stop smiling and it doesn't really matter what's happening. And I'm just happy. And that's usually when I play my best golf or I play my best basketball. I've also had times where it's usually something that happened to me or something that affected me that for whatever reason, just really ticked me off. I haven't really experienced this so much in golf, but more in basketball where if I'm really angry and I would then go play a basketball game, like I would like play really, really, really well um, where I couldn't miss a sh- couldn't miss a shot like at all like literally it doesn't even matter i don't even remember like what my mechanics felt like but i was literally like felt like i was unstoppable and then um so but then there's been times where i've been super angry and like you know you're just thinking about why you're angry you're not channeling that emotion into being able to do the activity that you're focused on that you're there to do you're kind of just using it as an outlet so I've experienced it both, but um, curious to know if you've ever had those experiences. Sorry, I'm trying to strategically mute again. The uh, rest of the household is is moving. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like the the simple concept of being in one state of mind, and then you finally get to maybe go do something that you were looking forward to, whether that's you know playing basketball or exercising. Actually, I can think of a lot of times where I was, where you're, you know, feeling like shit and maybe you don't know why. And then you get into something like this and 20 minutes later, you don't really have much of an explanation, but you feel better and you just, you just kind of laugh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the most satisfying and enjoyable feelings that there is for sure. Um, and I think you brought up an interesting point earlier, which I'm, I almost, when I'm feeling flow, I try to not think about that I'm in flow because I worry that as soon as I realize I'm in that state of mind, I don't want to start consciously thinking about it because then I'll start being like, Oh, like then my mind will start going other places instead of just continuing to stay focused on on what I'm doing. So there's a piece about this, this book that I'm really excited to get into, or like, I'm really eager to see where it goes in, in many aspects because it, 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 it gives so many hints towards like this suspicion that I have about the concept, but, um, one of them is, uh, and, and, and in a weird way, 
me and I were talking about this over dinner because I, I couldn't stop reading the book. And she was like, so what, like, what's, what's the deal? So I started explaining it to her and there were all these um, ties to our conversation about uh, the Renaissance era. And uh, what, what were the, what were the, what was the period of time that led to the Renaissance area that we talked about? What was it called? That period where there were three, um, kind of disasters mm. that led to this. The, I don't want to. It wasn't the Dark Ages. Uh, it was when was there the, was the, the Black or, Plague. The plague. There were the Crusades going on. Um, I think there was something else that you said. Uh, dark Ages were like right after the fall of all of Rome, and. And the Renaissance era started in roughly 1400, late 1400, I think, and then went through like seven to like 1700, roughly. I'm sure historians are like, oh, you're totally wrong. I know. I feel like such a, a jerk for not knowing this off the top of my head because we just talked about it for so long. Um, but we'll put it in the show notes. Oh, I'm freaking out. No, I, I have to I have to get this reference. Is it the transition from the Middle Ages, crisis of the late Middle Ages? I yeah, it was it called something been, more interesting than that. It would have been the late Middle Ages. Um, so there's this concept that they start talking about. Um in this book that I'm really hoping they, they dive further into, but, um, you know, so they're talking about consciousness and our like perception of all these situations that we're in. Um, and I'm thinking this book is going to be a bit of a mind fuck because I think it challenges you by saying flow only happens when there's order in your mind. Um, and I think you you might say that um, maybe that's a, uh, there's some similarities with with the concept of happiness. Like it only occurs where there's some sort of order, um, and that doesn't mean that you're in control of everything. But it means that um, there aren't a ton of factors that are controlling your your mind, so you're able to just like relax and, and enjoy the moment. Um, but it's speaking to this concept in the, in the book of, of um, our perception of the moments that, that we're in and which lead to our, our happiness. And there's something that, that's, um, that repeats over and over in the history of humans is that we get comfortable because we get, we get comfortable the more and more removed uh, we get from our relationship with like with the actual universe and with nature. And part of that is like, it becomes less common for us to just be happy that we have a roof over our head or that we don't have to worry about physical predators and that we just have such easy access to luxurious foods. Like what we're eating, what, what most of us eat almost every night, you know, you could argue was the meal of Kings, you know, 
maybe just a couple hundred years ago. But we don't we don't think about that. And so we experience less satisfaction from things that actually truly are luxurious. And there's a point in this book where it talks about how the universe and mother nature actually has no regard for humans, right? But we get so lucky that we don't even appreciate how we're just surviving so luxuriously. And so we stop um, experiencing this incredible satisfaction that you would have um, if you appreciated, you know, all the good things that are happening around you or the luxuries that we live with. And so the, there's a time in here um, uh, where they're talking about how so many, they're referencing how so many great creations, um, publications, pieces of art, uh, inventions came after times where essentially mother nature did something that led to economies, empires, or regions coming to a crumble. And then all of a sudden people are humbled. And then now it's almost like this reset button occurs where now all of a sudden you're going to appreciate if you have a nice home because maybe they're all, they're all wiped out or so fewer people are, are, are in, enjoying uh, these luxuries that they had before like these tragic events happened. So it was interesting looking up this book, like seeing when it was written being uh, 1990, the original publication, because there's a paragraph in here that literally summarizes what I feel is going to happen if this coronavirus crisis continues for too long. Like so many people are going to be fucked that they're going to be really happy when they get their lives back in order. And if you survive, well, a lot of people are devastated through this and survive in a way, meaning you don't lose shelter, you don't lose access to food and things that are actually real luxuries that we should appreciate. We're going to come out of it with um, an incredibly increased appreciation for each moment that we have. Um, you know, because I think a, a happy person just enjoys living life, not just what we consider the fun moments, right? There's some people that just have fun doing whatever they're doing. And I think a lot of that comes from, hey, you know, we don't deserve any of this shit anyway. We're all just super, super fucking lucky to have what we have. Um, and th it's, I think it's that mindset that can actually be practiced um, and like visited and revisited and, re and revisited like any other, you know, kind of emotional muscle that we have that can lead us to experiencing these flow states more often. That's kind of what I'm getting from the first chapter in this. And it's got me really excited to learn more about, about the concept because I, you know, I, I think if you were to look at some of the most creative people, um, the ability to create so consistently comes as a result of so many other things. And a lot of that I think has to do with getting your life in order and like, you know, creating this, you know, decision and motivation to, to be happy and practice happiness and, you know, understand how lucky you are in every moment. So tying gratitude directly to flow is basically. Um, kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think it's it's one of the pieces that that um, Mihaly, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was was trying to 
to get us to get you to buy into um, is, you know, flow. It kind of comes from feeling good and feeling good comes from, you know, thinking that you're in a good place. And I think it's hard to think that think you're in a good place if you're not super grateful for the things that are around you, you know? And so, uh, it almost yeah, feels like we're beating a dead horse, right? Cause I think that's, it's one of the weird things about gratitude is you're supposed to, you know, pay this gratitude to these, you know, situations and these people and these relationships that are around you. Um, and one of the main results of that is you feel better by practicing gratitude. The other people feel better, but you also feel better. So in a way you're, you're doing this thing to serve other people, but there's definitely a, a self-serving benefit to it. Yeah. What's the, what's the saying? If you want to make your, if you want to feel better, go do something for someone else mm-hmm. something along those lines and you'll almost always feel better yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. And you know, this, I don't want this to turn into a book club, um, especially because I'm only 25 pages into the book, but there's another piece to it that's, you know, talks about the, the obvious traps that I think everybody's aware of, but, um, you know, accumulating things, you know, materialistic things, um, and all of these examples in history where, um, and this is uh, part of, uh, one of the causes of the main concept in tribe is, with affluence comes increased expectations. I, there's like an idea. I think when that's explained to people, that makes a lot of sense, but that's not really thought about what's thought about when, um, pursuing affluence, right? I want to make a little bit more money. I want to be able to afford a nicer home, uh, and all the things that kind of fall under that, right? Cars, travel, cuisine, fashion, uh, um, the idea that pursuing that uh, affluence and then achieving some of that affluence will come with some long-term satisfaction. It's actually proven that that doesn't happen. As we achieve more affluence, your expectations rise. And so it's this constant, you know, what would you, what do you, what do you call it? It's like, you're on, you're on a hamster wheel. You're, you never achieve the thing you're looking for if that's your state of mind. That's really interesting. As a, and actually, as a matter of fact, so much of your efforts and emotion end up going to waste, which drives discontent in the life that you have. I watch Jenna watches um, all these shows on Bravo um um the real housewives yeah watches the same ones vanderpump rules yeah 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 exactly and i tell jenna all the time i'm like how miserable do these people seem they seem miserable like they seem so unsatisfied they're like 50 55 well however old they are doesn't even matter and they're like just talking about how expensive someone's house is and etc etc and it's like Oh my God, you guys are just like, I feel almost bad for them. Like they're lost. They, you've, you've completely lost. lost 
the, the, the concept that is maybe true contentment. Yeah. I think there's definitely some of them on there who have more, have a, aren't all that way, but some of them, it's just like, there's, they have no purpose. Like it doesn't seem like they have any purpose in their life. And it's just, uh, they're living a reality TV show, which is like the saddest thing in my opinion <laughs> to live. Yeah. I mean, I think the saddest part of that is, is how, how clearly and frequently, um, there is a display of, um, discontent from people who are perceived to have everything anybody could ever wish for. And I, I think I feel a little bit scared for how that's not more easily like recognized by people who watch the shows or like, I don't know, buy into a certain way of life. It's like, you know, don't you see that this isn't the healthiest way of life to be living? Jenna does and always say, she's like, I watch, I watch these shows because they make me feel better about my life. She does. I'll give her credit. She always does say that. That is good. Shout out to Jenna for that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I've just, I've been thinking about that a lot and you know, it's, it's something that, you know, we keep bringing up as, as we're recording during this, during the quarantine times is, is this real interest in um, how, or if these times are going to lead to more people just becoming happier, you know, in a, in a weird way. Um, I've been telling Jenna, I am kind of, I'm like, I've been telling her, I'm really excited to get back to life, to be able to go see my friends, to, to, have, to have that freedom again, because that freedom is one of the things like we really value here. Um, but one of the things I'm really almost sad about is losing out on the simplicity of life right now. Like I really am enjoying that, the simplicity. There's, there's really, I mean, there's definitely stresses, but and we're extremely fortunate, extremely fortunate where we both have jobs that we can work remote. If we want to go out, that's our, our choice to go out for a run or to, um, when we have to go to the grocery store, of course, that's, that's necessary, but uh, we're extremely grateful for that. But I'm kind of, I'm just enjoying the simplicity of life right now. And I think it kind of just goes to what you talked about is how when your expectations keep rising, keep rising, keep rising. And if you're not able to stay grounded, because I think if your expectations rise because of purpose, that is awesome. That's great because that means you're probably trying to drive more purpose and more, not, we're trying to drive more value and have a bigger impact on the world at a greater level versus just your expectations rising because you're making more money. And so you think you need to get more things to keep going up. You need the, you need the bigger boat. You need the nicer car, whatever, instead of just, like you said, being really happy for what you are. And they have shown studies where people who are really poor uh, in like third world countries are, are actually pretty happy because they live a simple life and they're, 
they have a strong community and they're they're happy. And I think that's something that this time, as you've alluded to, um, I think will allow us to be more grateful for the times that we do have that freedom when we get it back. Yeah, it's like the concept or like a metaphor that could be applied to anything. If you're, you know, in a third world country and you don't have access to any refreshing fruit and someone handed you a watermelon, like how happy would you be, right? And how much would you look forward to a watermelon? How grateful would you feel towards that person who gave you the watermelon or whatever journey that brought you to this refreshing thing? That person is experiencing happiness from something we we don't even think about. It's like, cool, watermelon. I, I eat it a couple times a summer when it's really hot. But that literally is is like happening everywhere. And I the thing the fact that I'm freaking out over the first chapter of this book really really has me excited. But um that's kind of a concept that that was in there too. You know, you take anything that we consider basic and give it to someone 50 years ago, they're the happiest, they're the happiest people on the block. And like yeah. now, so many people in affluent communities are actually depressed and unhappy when actually they quote have everything that you could ask for. So maybe this the 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 high level you know concept of all this is above my pay grade because I'm just a sales guy, but uh, I truly think something uh, impactful could could happen if people are like paying attention, you know, throughout this time. Definitely. Speaking of watermelons, I was at Costco the other day <laughs> and I saw this guy just going around to all the watermelons and just like tapping on them. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? I need to, I need to Google search. Like what, why do you tap on a watermelon before you buy it? But he probably tapped on like six watermelons at Costco. And he finally grabbed the one that he liked. Oh yeah. My is. mom, my mom does that. It's like picking an avocado. But what does the, what does the sound mean? Like, what does that do? Um, do you know which sound or feelings good. I think you, I feel like it is something like you want it to sound hollow, but not too hollow. <laughs> If it's like a mushier sound, then it's maybe too ripe. And if it's completely hollow, it's not ripe enough. Uh, okay. That makes sense. Could be backwards. I could be wrong. But yeah. And that guy also could be a psychopath. But I think there's some method to that madness. No, it, it, was, it was great, though. Because I was just like, oh, man, this guy loves watermelons. He's just knocking on all the watermelons. <laughs> he was really you were at Costco. How was that? Um, it was fine. Actually, I, I probably waited five minutes to get in. I wore every, everyone, I'd say like 95% of the people wore masks and because they kind of like gate the amount of people who go in at once, it was a lot less busy in there, which was, which was nice. And checkout was pretty fast. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was good. It was good. Nice. I'm jealous. The nearest one here, I think, is like 45 minutes away. Oh, man. That sucks. And I used to Costco's, go all the time. Costco steaks 
unless you go to a butcher shop, Costco steaks mm-hmm. are the best. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. We've actually just recently started u- utilizing some of the butcher shops around here. There's some really good ones. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. I'm curious to know if how you think meditation and mindfulness, because those things play right into grateful, being grateful, play a factor in, in flow and getting into that state. Because I think there's a direct correlation there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I almost wish I would have taken a bunch of notes in what I was reading last night, because it's almost like this first chapter touched on, you know, 15 different podcast episodes we've had, you know, because so many of the things we talk about, we are, we're not talking about them, you know, for the sake of talking about them, but because we have a feeling that they, you know, improve our lives. And most of that is around happiness, relationships, and you know, health and productivity. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think you can be more creative, the more calm your mind is and the more clearly you're thinking. And like, I I think that the, the gift that, that we can give ourselves for free is to take a minute to just breathe, you know, whether you're like working through a tough project or you have nothing going on. Um, I think everybody feels the benefits once they are are working on something and then maybe stop and even just take a few deep breaths. All of a sudden the task that you're, you're working through becomes a little bit easier, um, you know, at at a, at a high level. So um, I think it has a, a huge, a humongous impact on, uh, our ability to, to do the things that we want to do. I think it plays a very important role of maybe not so much getting into flow at the beginning, but I think it has a very important role in staying in flow and staying in the moment because meditation, at least for me, mostly is all about once you're in it, not getting distracted or knowing when you're getting distracted so that you can then redirect your mind back to what you're trying to focus on, which allows you then to stay in that flow state. Um, so I think that's, that's the important piece that I've always experienced with, with meditation um, uh, and, and how it helps you to get into to, to flow. So. So I'm curious when you uh, clearly made some really good progress on the on our website the other way, by the way, shout out to uh, the lifelabpodcast.com where we're going to just be like sharing our, our show notes and uh, kind of just things we're interested in. But uh, are you going to be maybe becoming loosely systematic about that where you're blocking up larger chunks of time to work on things uninterrupted and then maybe integrate you know meditating before during are are you thinking about that i've been thinking more and more about how short answer is yes and specifically making specific days for it because i think when you're able to get into flow when you have expectation around 
the time that you're going to do a task. So mm. I think intention is extremely important with flow because if you don't have intention to go do something, your your mind isn't going to your mind's going to go anywhere because you're it's not going to be okay. I'm sitting down to do this. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to write music. I'm going to yeah. listen to music. So if you go in with the mindset of I'm just going to do this one task, you're a it's so much easier to get into that flow. And so short answer is, is yes. Um I'm still working on it. Um I think it'll probably be in later in the evenings. So I kind of have been thinking about like two to three times a week, maybe like a Tuesday, Thursday, and then one day on the weekend, Sunday or something like that. And just blocking off like two hours to just think, not only write, think about things, research, whatever it is, but um, just to block off that time to be very dedicated to, to, to that specific ideology. So, and I think intention is super important. And they talk about this in, in meditation too, is that like you're able to, to flow throughout your day if you have a, a very specific intentions from one thing to the next. And so when you're, Andy Pudicom always talks about this is like when you come out of your meditation and you finish your meditation, don't just jump up and run off and without any focus on what you're doing. Think about, I'm going to, so this morning I woke up, I did my meditation and I set the intention of, I'm going to do my body prep and light workout for the day. And I set that intention so that I couldn't, wouldn't sit down on the computer and get distracted, whatever, whatever, whatever's going on. I had that intention to go to that next thing that I wanted to do, which allowed me to be much more focused when I, when I did it. Um, so I think also creating specific schedules uh, and habits around those, those schedules really helps you also get into flow. Um, it's, it's funny um, how often I feel like it, almost in a backwards fashion will like sound out these concepts and maybe some like, you know, revelations when we're, when we're talking, um, where you're talking about setting intention, um, you know, thinking about getting into things that you want to accomplish. And I, I'm just remembering, you know, some of the, the, one of the best feelings that you kind of know you can recreate is when you have a tea time set or um, I'm thinking about specific times, you know, when I lived in, in Seattle where <clears throat> Phil Walker and Ryan and I would get together and we'd set a plan on a Tuesday to that, that Saturday, we're all going to be at the volleyball court at 7am. And when you set that and we were kind of like making that com commitment to friends. Um, and it's very similar when you have a tea time set for golf, especially when it's early in the morning. Like if you had to get up at, at 6am to go to the airport for a work trip, it feels way different. <laughs> so true. So but, true. But when I have on my calendar, I've got to be over at the volleyball court at 7 a.m., which means if I want to wake up and have coffee, I'm waking up earlier 
shower, stretch, warm up, who knows how long it's going to take you to get there. If you need to have a little bit of breakfast, you're more than happy to get up at 5 a.m. to go do that thing. And so from the moment you wake up, it almost feels like you're in that flow because you're building up to this beautiful thing. And actually it starts the night before and maybe even several days before. Right. Um, but it, it, it's, it's so funny how we could talk to her blue in the face about the concept yet. It's also right in front of us. It's like, we're already doing this thing for some of the things that we could consider leisure, you know, waking up super early and putting your, your coffee in a, in a, in a mug can be one of the most enjoyable things in itself because it's part of you preparing for this bigger thing. That's, that's, that's super fun and a, and a good experience, you know, with your friends and, and with yourself on a golf course or, or a volleyball court. So it's almost like, you know, what if you just apply that to everything else? You know, it's like, you don't, don't even know if you need to read an entire book on it because it's already proven in other aspects of our life. Yeah. Those, I think daily rituals, um, it's kind of the same thing as habits, um, are also really help with getting into uh, a flow. So some people really enjoy making a really nice cup of coffee. Maybe they have an old school system that they use a specific type of making it, whatever. And they just really enjoy that. And that, that helps them get into that flow. And I think it's the same way with athletes, uh, they have specific things that they do on game day or on when they go to practice, they do the same thing every time because it helps them get into the right mindset. And uh, I think those things, once you repeat them over and over again, it allows your mind to become automatic. You're not thinking you're out in a relaxed state because you've practiced those things over and over again. And it's not something new for the very first time. And so I think that's a, a little bit of a hack to facilitate yourself into a flow state. I'm, I, I think that there's definitely a, a playbook that could be made for helping to facilitate getting into a flow state. Um, I think we've already talked about all of them. It's just putting them, them together. And I'd say first is starting with making sure that you're being intentful about what you're going to do and then you're monitoring your emotions. Ideally you're going to be in a happier state or in a more grateful state at, at least um, that you feel purpose for whatever it is that you're going to do. Um, and then that you have had some sort of ritual or routine or you've locked off a certain amount of time in the day that you can then go and, and get into it. And then once you're in it, make sure, because the flow doesn't happen immediately. It, it takes sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes it takes an hour, sometimes it takes two hours to get into that state, but really allowing yourself to then be relaxed and fully immersed in the moment so that you can achieve that flow state and achieve really great work at whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and, and I think all those things are are really powerful if you do them in, in the right order and, and are very um, intentful with them. Yeah, I know we're we're probably trying to wrap up here, but there were there were so many quotes in the beginning of this book that kind of spoke to um, 
um, understanding that flow is kind of the residue of a bunch of other things that you're, you're doing, right? So whatever your routines are, but also to take the standpoint and the, the open-minded standpoint of not forcing it and understand, I mean, it, which kind of makes sense when you think about the word, when you think about flow, you think loose, you think about water flowing, you think about yoga and so much of that is being open to, to what you're feeling at the time and not, you know, having to force yourself into, you know, a feeling or a pose or, um, a, a state of mind, but, um, <clears throat> Somebody had the, the the question of, and I, I actually think you mentioned this earlier when you're, you said you try to maybe not think about if you're in flow or ask yourself yeah. if you're in flow. There was a quote that says the man who asks himself is the happy, it, the man who asks himself if he's happy ceases to be so. Yeah, yeah. That's a so good there's point. just kind of like, um, I think an interesting part of the concept is to focus on the process and all the steps and all the little things, but you're not focused on achieving flow. You're focused on how all the little pieces of your life are the most important things rather than I'm trying to achieve something else. If, if that makes sense, if you're, if you're only doing these little things to get you to somewhere else, you're already not present. If you're doing the yeah. things because you believe that they're necessary and it's important to do them right, and you're focused on that, I think there's a lot of things that happen. One is you're not multitasking as much because you're like, I'm doing this, and if it's important, I'm just going to do it on its own. Um, and then it's 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 like it feels like a weird catch twenty two, where it's like I think we know to achieve things. Here's all the things I have to do, but you only. Uh, achieve true true greatness when you've paid each of those things the attention that they deserve and require and do it honestly because you believe that they're important that you get somewhere greater you know it's kind of like you can't it's it's a total catch-22 thing i think yeah i i want to know what are your two or three favorite flow experiences like what are when if there's a story behind them, we're just just telling them us what they what they were and when when it happened. Do you mean where I absolutely felt I was in flow? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Those earning early morning uh, volleyball sessions, where there's just so much that goes into it. And you know, I could give you a short answer and just say there's tons of physical activity. I feel it when I'm running all the time. There's times where I'm running where maybe I'm five miles in and I'm looking at my feet and I'm looking around and I'm going, I'm not even trying to move my legs right now. <laughs> Do you ever felt that? Yeah. It doesn't happen I, as much for me, but yeah. Well, it's, there's similarities everywhere, right? There's golf shots that you've hit where you said, I didn't have to think about a thing and it just happened. Um, yeah. But I think the the volleyball one is is so uh, powerful or fun for me because to me I I enjoy and feel such camaraderie and love when all of a sudden that group text pops up and I know it's the three other guys that you know we like to organize volleyball with the enjoyment starts there the satisfaction starts there 
because it's four people that are all saying, let's do this thing. We all love it for a thousand different reasons. Um, and then I get pumped. It's like, because, you know, I like to, then you start thinking, do I have my laundry done? Do I have the stuff that I like to wear when I play volleyball ready? If not, do I need a plan to get that done? What do I want to eat that morning? You know, and I'm, I, I love all that little stuff. And so I've been having fun hours, sometimes days before the first ball is even served over the net. And then once that happens, um, I think you, you mentioned this maybe about basketball where it starts and all of a sudden the ball's coming over and I'm going to pass the ball and I'm just grinning ear to ear because I'm going, this is it. We've done it. We've created the perfect moment, you know, and, and then it's like a new chapter of like kind of that, that flow starts. And um, I think there's a piece to it where, you know, you could look at maybe how I played, maybe I played incredibly well and it has to do because I felt so good or and that felt like flow. Maybe there's other times where I didn't play as well, or maybe didn't win or wasn't as successful, but still felt incredible because there's so many other attributes to this thing besides maybe winning a game or being successful at the game. Um, I think, I think sometimes doing this podcast is that, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've thought about it in those terms, but you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I think for either of us has, has never, ever been a burden. It's always been something we look forward to. It's always something that when I, when we're done, I'm like, fuck, I'm so glad we did that. And I can't wait till the next one. There's this insatiable kind of, um, feeling to want to improve it. Um, and just like create something cool. So I, I, I think I can think of so many examples that I would categorize as, you know, kind of these flow feelings or states um, that maybe in the moment, you know, to the credit of the concept, maybe didn't, didn't feel like it, but this is one of those, you know, where it's, it's, it's got, there's so much that goes into it beyond just creating a recording. Right. Um, Meditation absolutely is one of those. Like, um, do you have like a specific story? I'm I'm curious to know if you have like a specific story that you can like walk us through and what it, what it was and what happened. I think that like I absolutely felt flowy. And like, I don't know if I can think of a specific story off the top of my head. Um, if you gave me a minute, I probably could. I can think of a few moments in my sales career where it it felt like, you know, I achieved a big close that was maybe very dif- difficult. And maybe things are said in meetings or over the phone that almost feel like they came out of thin air because I was maybe so focused and like some result like presented itself because I was all in and everybody else was all in in the moment. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to think, are you thinking of something in particular? I mean, I, I can, I can think of at least like probably 10 very specific moments and like experiences of, of flow. Like I can think of at least like four or five basketball 
about like playing basketball where I got into flow. I can think of at least like three or four times playing golf. I've definitely experienced it when we've been podcasting where I'm just like, holy shit, like we are just like flowing right now. And then yeah. um I can tell you a little story actually. I just told Mia the other day about volleyball. Can I tell you? Yeah. I don't know what we're thinking about time. What are we an hour and fifteen minutes then? I mean, I don't care though. Yeah, something like that. Um there was this day um a classic Saturday morning at Juanita Beach, one of the days where the court was just surrounded with people. So every game felt like a bit of a uh you know spectator sport, which is always kind of fun. You've got all your friends there and um you know, once you're there long enough, you start to understand the dynamics of all the players that are playing with and against each other. And sometimes it gets random and games become really interesting. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you're, we're all just, uh, for the most part, you know, competitive recreational players, yet games become interesting to maybe 50 people at a time. And it feels really cool. Um, and, uh, there was this moment where, um, I had just played like three or four games straight and I had lost my last game. So I was sitting, just sitting out happily, just like drinking my water, you know, maybe drinking a smoothie, just watching a game. And, and this real character of a guy walked up, he had his AVP tour tank top on backwards hat beard He's probably six, five or something. And he walks up and, and says to like a group of us that are sitting there and he goes, Hey, uh, is this one of the parks where the uh, open and double a players play, which is basically saying like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a pro level player. Is this where other pros play? But he said it in such a, a douchey way that it kind of set us all back a second. And we were like, and one of those guys that <clears throat> me and I were talking about Sai, I've told you about Sai. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. One of the players I've, I've, I've always looked up to um, and had the uh, joy of playing with over the years. He, he happened to be standing and he goes, yeah, you know, like some players here are open level and double A, but for the most part, everybody just wants to have competitive fun, you know, kind of being like, Hey man, chill, like look around, like some people are big enough to be that good. And like, there's just basically kids here. Right. And so he's like, okay, well, where's the line? And he goes like, I, I, I got next. I'll try and find a partner to play with. And Cy turns to me and goes, Ever, let's kick this guy's ass. And Cy is like, <laughs> 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 and I'm like, fuck, oh, oh, okay. And we got into this game and it was just like, yeah, I think some of the other factors adding into it, the, this feeling of, um, it added a little bit more purpose to the game because we were thinking we really want to humble this guy, but also people were watching and it was already one of those perfect mornings where, you know, everybody had just trickled out. And then by, you know, 10, 11 o'clock and it became an event, which 75 degrees at, you know, 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning is an event, no matter what you're doing. Um, But absolutely that entire game um, and probably the rest of that day just felt, you know, almost, almost perfect. It totally in the zone where I was doing things that th- this is what was, what was really interesting about it. This may not make sense to everybody, but um, 
you know, there's a level in beach volleyball where players start blocking, right? And if you're the person who's not blocking, you have the responsibility to cover the direction that your partner is not covering. So they're either going to block line, so you cover the angle, or they're blocking angle, you go line, or, you know, whatever. And there's communication that's in flow, and that's when you see people giving hand signals behind their back before the play starts. One is I'm blocking line, you cover angle. Two is obviously whatever. Um, and this guy is huge. So Sai was having to block, and, you know, Sai had blocked a bunch of his uh, shots, but also I had, like, executed some things that I had only ever seen people do, but understood the concept, right? Because I didn't, I didn't play with tons of people that are blocking, right? I'm 5'9". I'm not towering over the net blocking my opponents, but um, I was familiar with those games and watched, watched tons of them. And one of the things you can do is if, you're, if your partner is going to block line, you fake like you're going to go cover line, so the player who's about to hit the ball, when they look before they hit the ball, they go, oh, the angle is going to be wide open. So you get them to bite on the angle being open and they just lob the ball over to the angle. And there were a bunch of times where I had done this like fake thing where I'm going behind my blocker and they just like gave us a free ball because they, and like, I had never done that before. And it's such a minor detail that is maybe hard to, um, understand if you maybe don't play the game or maybe I explained it well enough, but I remember going feeling so cool that this thing had just happened and it only happened because I was, I think completely immersed in this moment. And there was um, so much about it that was like so engaging and, and so satisfying. And I was able to, you know, definitely play probably one of the best games of volleyball I'd ever played. And it was pretty cool. So the people are going to want to know, did you win or did you, did you not? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's a cool story. And also, I think he, we never saw that guy again. <laughs> 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 he, had, he had just moved here and he was working for a, he had some like engineering job that he had moved for temporarily and never saw him again. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, what, I think. Do you yeah. have a story? I'm sorry. I feel like I kind of hijacked that, which was a really oh, good idea. You no, had. That was exactly what I what I wanted to hear. Um, I've got a couple of them. Uh, I have a, a lot from actually like music festivals and dancing at music festivals because you're listening to music for like five, six, seven, eight hours, maybe sometimes even like twelve hours long and when you're like dancing and like you just get sometimes and you're not on your phone uh, and you just get so immersed in the music that like you're not even really thinking about anything else besides the music um there's been so many examples of that um and it's just so awesome and it's there's one time specifically um where it was at edc and disclosure was playing and this is like 2015, I think. Uh, EDC is Electric Daisy Carnival. Uh, and it was really hot. It's probably like 100 degrees. And we're in this tent. And it's like really muggy. And even in Vegas, it was really muggy and hot because there's so many people there in this tent for disclosure. And it was such uh, just amazing 
set that they played for like an hour or an hour and a half that like everyone around you was just looking at each other being like oh my god this is incredible and like the energy was just like off the charts it's still like top one of the top shows i've ever been to and like that specific moment because everyone kind of felt like they were almost in flow and in the zone and moving together mm. along with the music and it was just so incredible uh, and it was like nothing could take you away from that it was just it was just so easy um i've had does it, does it feel like it was it, it, it's like hard to compare that perfectly like heightened feeling with with anything else because because there's so many factors obviously the all the other people you know you can't organize what for something to feel so synchronized without it being planned has to feel you know kind of incredible and it's like there's only a few ways that that could happen yeah and it was it really was incredible um and i think yeah that's a good point is like everyone was there for to listen to music and to dance and to express themselves whatever whatever and like it was just kind of like this whole perfect combination of we're in this like tent that's really hot and really muggy and sweaty um, everyone there was just so into it and just everything was just, it was like the perfect combination to get into, get into the zone. Um, it was, it was truly incredible. Um, there's been a couple of times playing basketball where, I mean, I just literally cannot miss, like, I mean, I remember times playing at like the rec and I can't remember the rec and like basketball and stuff like that, where I'd score like nine out of 11 points in the game to 11. Um, it was like, there's nothing anyone could do to stop me um mm -hmm. and there's been times in golf um i specifically remember the first time i broke 80 was a time where me evan mikey and jp i think we played at jefferson we woke up shout out we to the boys we we're gonna play we played 36 and i just woke up and i was just super happy it was a nice day we teed off pretty early and I remember just not thinking anything at all, like the whole entire round, like nothing really even mattered. Um, and I think I shot a 76, it was a par 69. So it was, I shot 76 on a par 69, which is the best round I'd ever shot at the time. And it was just, where was, was this? Jefferson on a beacon hill in Seattle. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one where I would just remember, like, I'm not even thinking, I'm thinking that I'm not thinking about anything. Like I said, like, not, don't think about it, but like reflecting, I just remember like being no thoughts at all. Um, yeah. And then I think most recently was when I was working, the most recent was when I was working on like the, our website uh, last Friday night, it was just, three or four hours of just focused work and it was difficult and all those times were like hard like they weren't just like easy things to do they were all i remember like and i think the the difficulty allows you to focus more and get into that state because you're like man this is hard i don't really know how to do this so you, you focus so were uh did any substances play into your 
session on Friday night? No, it's over. Hmm. Um, your golf story does remind me of Palm Springs the year before last, where I didn't play particularly well for the entire weekend. I just hadn't been playing much. Um, and at, at some stretch, I don't remember the course, but I had I like I four, four straight pars and everybody was like, what the fuck? And, you know, I remember this specifically, actually, it was, a it was at the Western mission Hills P die course. And you'd been, you, I mean, you, you didn't, you weren't golfing that much. Um, just in general. So like, it was kind of like, had been a while since you you really played for the, before this weekend. And so you kind of struggled the first couple of rounds that we played. And then you just like, you got, you literally got in the zone and like, I think you made like four or five or six pars in a row. And then I remember you said something or somebody said something to you. I remember it's vividly, it was on a par three. And after that, it switched and you lost it and you never got back into the flow for that specific round. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember it was at uphill part three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you yeah. said something or somebody said something. And then like, after that, you, you never were the same, not that you were ever were the same again, but you weren't, it wasn't as like flawless for you. Right. Well, it's just, just so true. Going back to how you said, you know, you didn't think about anything. You know, I think something that's, um, a, a common theme and the few uh, stories we just mentioned is there wasn't really a lot of thinking. It was just, doing. you know, doing, I guess if it's as simple as that. So um, yeah, we should maybe touch on this a little bit more because I, you know, realistically don't know. It's like, I feel like I know, about this topic from adjacent topics, right? And so it feels like a really good time to, to read this book. If you're interested, maybe you should read the book too, but I'll, uh, I'm excited to, to keep reading it and hopefully have more kind of helpful insights to share about what's happening when we feel like we're in the zone. But I think the main, the main goal is, is to understand how to encourage it to happen more, you know? Yeah. So definitely. I'm excited to see where it goes. Some of the things that I remember reading, I don't think it was Y Combinator specifically, but it was about one of the things I look for in startups that are successful is the ability for startups to get into a state of flow. So mm. startups that don't facilitate flow states have difficulty being successful because when you're just starting a company, you're really trying to build. And if you're not able to build, you're, you're not going to have any value to provide for investors, for individuals, for whatever the consumers are. And so they talked about how at the beginning you need to facilitate flow states. And I think we've talked a lot of about a lot of different ways that you can do that. And I think it's being intentful with those ways so that you, you can facilitate those, but um, do you mean flow states within your company or do you yeah. mean for your users? Okay. In your company so that your company can build and create. Yeah. I, I liked 
I can't remember the quote, but I think we talked about it on last episode. What's just as important as getting in your 10,000 hours is your 10,000 iterations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's something that's so uh, cool uh, about, you know, you know, teams at these companies that are developing and iterating on code. It really is an interesting like metaphor for for life because they they don't stop like they don't build a product and then just go up let's write it out they build the product and then relentlessly look for feedback and look for you know you know they're open to the idea sometimes maybe we have to rebuild this product from the ground up um but you know what do we add to the code what do we take away um does it make sense to write it in a, in a different language? You know, our, our, our lives are seemingly just like that. Or I, mean, yeah. I think they should be at least. Yeah. Continue to iterate and to improve, but at the same time, be sure to stay grounded in your expectations. Bars. I want to, before we sign off, I want to give a, a big shout out to, um, uh, Jenna, uh, yeah, yeah, Kurt, myself, Eric, and Trevor Harvey for having completed the Life Lab Challenge to date. We have Kendall, who's only got 0.85 miles to go, Ryan, who's only got uh, 4.12 miles to go, and then you, Everett, you only have 4.92 miles to go to complete the 70 miles life lab challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hey, don't count out Paige. She could go get, she could go get uh 12 miles in. Yeah, she could. Or wait, she could. She, wait, no, she needs to get. Yeah. 12 miles would get her there. Um, um, I'd also love to give a big shout out to Jeff Pugh, who is still at 0.00 miles. Uh, that's too great. <laughs> too great. I wish. Or, so, by the way, are you? Did you go above seventy, or are yeah, you? I, I just hit. A, I just hit a hundred, which was the stretch goal. Um, I think yesterday or the day before. Um, let's see. And then Cam, Kurt, and Eric all also hit a hundred miles. Did Did they just tell you that, or did you? You can't because you can't see anything beyond the. Yeah, you can't see. We we texted each other. Okay, cool. That's huge, man. A hundred miles is huge. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Do you, do you feel like you're a runner now, or do you definitely, feel like you just did a challenge in your? Definitely better than when I started, for sure. Um, I'm actually going to try and do like a six week program of like actual speed work, tempo work, et cetera, et cetera. Because the actual race is June 7th, which most likely won't happen. But even still, I'm going to do a half marathon that day. Yeah, I, I went in on that. Awesome. I went in awesome. on that June June 7th. Sunday? Yeah. Oh, you know what's crazy is uh, my friend Ben is getting married that day. Or he, I think he's getting married on that Saturday. I think I had joked with Mia 
why don't we go up for the wedding and then do the rock and roll half on Sunday? <laughs> Which would be a terrible idea, but. Well, you do have a history of drinking and partying the night before marathon, so. Yeah, I sure do. I don't know if I'm proud of that, but. Anyways, um, I think it's uh, time to wrap it up. Any, any last things you, you want to chat about or mention? Shout outs? No, no. I, uh, uh, that's becoming a, um, what is it called? A pet peeve of myself is at the end of a call or conversation when anyone goes, uh, anything else? And you go, no, but I just wanted to say, don't say the no. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's so easy to say no, but uh, I was just thinking to add on. Um, I'm excited to hopefully be able to talk more about this topic. And uh, it's just one of those things that's reminding me of like the importance of, you know, reflection. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to focus on some negative things, but um, it's been really exciting the last couple of days since I've been getting into this concept to, to really explore, you know, these moments where I feel like I'm exceptionally you know, productive or successful at what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, and I think the only reason I ordered this book is because I started thinking about it for some reason. So um, I hope I just, I hope, you know, as one of the uh, continuing things of the, of the podcast is, you know, encouraging folks to, uh, to reflect and think about their lives and maybe some of the things they like about it and some of the things that they don't. And your focus doesn't have to be on improving or removing the things that you don't like. You can actually still put a, a big focus in the things that you do like and making those even better. You know, that's a big Gary Vee thing. Uh, he's a believer in um, exploit your strengths. Don't worry about improving your weaknesses. You know, that's what you have support and, and help for. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited to embark on this journey of understanding uh, uh, flow states and um, hopefully have more uh, inspiring um, insights to share in the coming weeks. What about you? What are your signing off notes? I'd say everything you kind of just touched on. I think it's, I, I don't think I can really say anything better. Um, there's a, there's an album that above and beyond put out. That's kind of like a yoga meditation album and it's actually called flow state. Uh, mm. It's pretty interesting. So good stuff to do yoga to, to meditate to, to um, have as background while you're doing some of those um, building things. And it's a, yeah, check it out. Other don't forget that, don't forget to visit the lifelabpodcast.com. We're going to be just posting things that we find interesting up there. I think that's probably the easiest way to explain what we're using the, the website for at this point, but shout out to Will yeah, for all the hard work he's put into it. Yeah, we're kind of using it as what Everett and I like to call our mind share. So whether it be articles, clothing, gear, places, articles, books, anything that we think is in improving our lives or having an impact on our lives or things that we think interesting are, um, we'll be we'll be posting on there. And these are things that we don't just see and passing through there are things that we actually i'd say are, are taking either action on or things that we have used before are using currently so check it out check it out let us know 
Love y'all. Life Lab, we out. Love you guys.